Victoria Jackson grew up in a Bible-believing, piano-playing, TV-free home in Miami. And when Johnny Crawford of the Rifleman met her at a Birmingham summer stock production, he bought her a one-way ticket to Hollywood to be in his nightclub act. And for two years, she held odd jobs in the showbiz capital as a cigarette girl, waitress, and typist until Johnny Carson noticed her stand-up routine and put her on The Tonight Show 20 times. After that, she starred in many movies and TV shows, most notably six seasons on Saturday Night Live. And Victoria still acts in films, does stand-up comedy, sings her original ukulele songs, and she recently released her first music comedy album, When I Get to Nashville, playing her signature ukulele, paired with her instantly recognizable high-pitched voice, Victoria works her way through When I Get to Nashville with 18 hilarious songs, plus some stand-up about landing in Music City where she's determined to find her way to the Grand Ole Opry stage. The album also features a cameo from fellow SNL star Rob Schneider. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome one of the few women who can consistently deliver the funny, the one and the only Victoria Jackson to the show. Welcome. Thank you. What a beautiful introduction, Dr. Bond. <laughs> well, you are so very welcome. And, you know, I had so much fun doing a, doing a little bit of research about you. And as I was going through some of it, uh, something kind of stood out and took me by surprise. You were a cigarette girl. And I don't know how many people even remember what a cigarette girl is or was, uh, how many, I mean, think about it. I mean, was that in a comedy club? And how long did you actually do that job? Well, it was in a 30s club. So everything was, the music was the 30s and the orchestra. And um, I was just there to look like the 30s. Uh, nobody bought cigarettes because it was Los Angeles and everyone's healthy there, and, and even in the 80s. And, um, well, our crowd was, they were old people. And um, everyone who worked there got to do a little act, a little six minutes <clears throat> on their shift. And I asked the boss, I said, Milt, can I do an act? And he goes, well, what do you do? And I said, um, I can stand on my hands and say poetry. And he goes, this I've got to see. So he let me do my, I was trying to get six minutes together to get on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And Milt let me do it every night for two years till I honed it. And then the Tonight Show came and discovered me. So so is that where your handstands started? Well, they started when I was born because my dad was a gymnastics coach. And that's uh, gymnastics is a skill you can do nothing with. Um, you can only become a coach. And I'm like, I don't want to be a coach. I watched my dad all day, every day saying, point your knee, point your toes, straighten your knees, point your toes, straighten your knees. I was like, no, thank you. So, um, so when I was first trying to do stand up and trying to think of an act I, and trying to get auditions, I thought, well, there's one thing I can do that probably none of the other blonde girls in Hollywood can do stand upside down for uh, over a minute you know, just stick it. And I thought, it's not funny, but it will keep their attention. So I started doing that, you know, and that's and why well, it's you, my Well, you, you carried that skill all the way 
uh, to the news desk on Saturday Night Live. You did your research. I am going crazy because look at my beautiful diamonds. I can't get this in my ear and it's driving me crazy. Well, I don't think we have to worry about the earring too much, but I, I still remember when you did the handstand on Saturday Night Live because at that time, Dennis Miller was doing the news. Yes, and uh, he was a good foil for me. Good chemistry, and then Kevin Nealon did it. Um, we had a great cast uh, back in the 86 to 92. It was John Lovitz, Dana Carvey, Kevin Nealon, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Nora Dunn. And then my last few years were the beginning years of Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Farley, that group. So I got to work with super talented, great people. How would you compare the two groups? Well, the, the Farley Spade group was a little more um, sophomoric, uh, kind of like I, I pulled my pants down kind of jokes, you know. I thought our cast was a little bit more cerebral, but um, apparently America liked them a lot, so... Well, I know one thing. Nobody does a nobody ever did a better Bill Clinton than Phil Hartman. Oh yeah, he was so talented, and um, Spade and Farley they were too. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little distracted because I have such a busy day today. Usually, I'm a retired grandma who sits around eating bonbons. So thank you for having me. Well, yeah, you're absolutely welcome, and it's an absolute honor to have you here today. And you said that as you were at the uh, the 30s uh, club, and how did Johnny discover you, Johnny Carson? Oh, well, um, when I was doing my act, you know, every night for two years, uh, one night, this lady from Australia, she was performing, and... The Carson talent scout came to see her, but she was a little dirty and they didn't allow dirty things on NBC in the early 80s. And then I came on after her and my act was not dirty. And that's when the, the talent scout said, would you like to be on the Tonight Show? And I said, okay. <laughs> well, what was it like uh, to appear with uh, Carson on your debut? Well, I was very nervous, and everyone said, if Johnny likes you, you have a career, and if he doesn't like you, you don't have a career. So I was standing backstage, and Jim McCauley, the talent scout, was holding the curtain, and when they said my name, he was going to pull it back, and I was supposed to walk to my mark, hit the mark in the center of the stage, and his hand was shaking. And I go, Jim, why is your hand shaking? I have to go out there. And he goes, because if Johnny doesn't like you, I lose my job. And I and I was like, oh. So I went out there and Johnny gave me the okay sign at the end. So he kept his job and it's all good. Well, did, did you ever get invited to the couch? Oh, yes. I was on 20 times after that. I was on 18 times with Johnny and two times with other people. And... Um, yeah, I got to sit on the couch. Johnny got me, you know. Some people get you and some people don't. Well, you know, J Johnny knew he had a good eye for talent. Uh, 
even to this day, nobody was better than Johnny Carson as host of The Tonight Show. You know, I put Jay Leno right there at second place. But Johnny just had a way with comedy that we don't see too much anymore. I agree. He was the best. He had class. He let the, my theory is he let the guest get the laugh. In other words, we had a pre-interview with his assistant. And my husband at the time was a fire eater. He ate fire for a living, you know, like that. And there was not much call for that. So I had to work. But um, Johnny knew that. So instead of, jo- okay, so Johnny said, Victoria, I hear you're married. Who are you married to? And I said, oh, my husband's a fire eater. And then I got the laugh, huge laugh. And then Johnny went, oh, fire eater, tapped his pencil, and he got another laugh. When I did the same thing on, um, like, Letterman, Letterman would say, oh, so I hear you're married to a fire eater. Letterman got the laugh. And then I was sitting there and said, yes, I got no laugh. So Johnny was gracious in that he would set up the guest to get the laugh and to make us look good. And I always thought I was so funny because of Johnny Carson. Then when I would go on other talk shows, I was like, oh, I'm not so funny anymore. It was because of Johnny. Well, see, that ta- that goes back to the talent of the host. That's why, you know, when we talk about late night overall, Carson's name comes up first. I don't mm-hmm. think Letterman's name ever pops up in the top five. He was kind of mean. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. And but you but you're right. Allowing the host to set up the joke and then make the guest look good, that's just pure class. Yeah. You know, and but but what is funny to me is with your answer being that your husband is a fire eater, it's almost like to a point where you're already the comedian, but who's going to believe that you were actually telling the truth? Yes, and he calls himself Hot Lips. Um <laughs> Well, uh, I divorced him. I don't believe in divorce. It was not a good thing. But um, then I married a SWAT guy, helicopter police pilot. So it's kind of like I'm. we're all cartoons. My daughter's like, Mommy, you married a cartoon. My husband now of 30 years, he's my high school sweetheart. His body is in the shape of a V, like a cartoon, like shoulders, waist. And it's like... I married another cartoon. So obviously, I guess he stays in shape. Yeah, he's a little obsessed, but that's okay. <laughs> we're, well, we're opposites. We've been to eight marriage therapists, and all of them committed suicide. <laughs> Actually, one of them, their head exploded, so technically it's not suicide. I'm starting to feel like a serial killer. I would, I would say so. I, I would not want to be your therapist. Or my husband, probably. <laughs> well, I'm surprised that uh, you finally came out with a music comedy album. What took so long? Well, thank you for saying that. I made one of my songs. I sang on Johnny Carson in my 20s. I sang Use Me because I was an out-of-work actress, and I sang the boyfriend song because I was looking for a husband. And in my 30s, I sang on Saturday Night Live 
is saying, where do you draw the line between love and adultery? And I saying, I'm not a bimbo. And in my 40s, I was trapped in Miami in the suburbs for 18 years. So my husband could have his dream job, the helicopter, uh, because I'm the perfect Christian wife and mother. So I gave up my career for his career, of course. And I remind him every day. But um, in the Miami years, you're a good audience. Thank you. In my Miami years, I wrote, nobody respects a suburbanite. They think you settled for the lowest form of life. You, you must not be ambitious if you've got a house, a car, two kids, a dog, and you are someone's wife. Okay, so then when I was moving to Nashville 11 years ago in my white pickup truck, and I had my three little dogs in the front seat, and uh, they were fighting over food, and when I was breaking up the fight, blood was on my hand. I was thinking of this song, when I get to Nashville, when I get to Nashville, I'm going to make the rounds. I'll do a show on Music Row or Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. And I started thinking, hey, I can fit into Nashville that uh, uh, has my two favorite things, Jesus and show business. And, um, you know, we were coming to Nashville to follow our children and our grandchildren. So now we're all together in the same spot. I'm very excited about Christmas. Am I, you know, so um, I thought, well, what am I going to do to fit in Nashville? And I said, well, I'm a songwriter. I'll fit right in. So I've been working on my song, 18 original new songs since I moved here. Then I met some great people like Jim McBurney. He's a retired NYPD guy who is also a musician who had a studio in his home and he spent like eight years me and him goofing around but he was doing all the hard work with all the buttons i go put could you put some violins in here and all that and he plays great guitar so jim mcburney produced the album for me and then um i started asking people how do you get the cover on it like this is the town where everyone knows how to do this right so I found out who makes the cover and who presses. The thing is, nobody has CDs anymore. Yeah, everybody everybody wants to download. But I always tell people when it comes to recording artists, stop doing the downloads and buy the either buy the CD or buy the album because nobody makes money on a download. Oh, well, yeah, I didn't really do it for the money because I'm so blessed I have a pension. Thank you, God. Uh, but I, I, um, I do have it on streaming. It's on Amazon and Spotify, you know, uh, which was hard to figure out, but I figured it out. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was wondering because Nashville is a perfect place for you. Are you going to be the next mini Pearl? I'm so glad you brought that up. That's my goal. And so far, uh, my goal was make a CD with real musicians are on it, uh, hear my song on the radio, and sing at the Opry. And so far, I've gotten two of my three goals have come true. And uh, now I'm waiting to get to be the next Minnie Pearl. I wrote a song about it. It goes, when I was a little girl and I first saw Minnie Pearl, I knew that's what I want to be. Even though I couldn't sing real well, as far as I could tell, neither could she. Uh, anyway, so uh, me and this guy, Bill and Mason, wrote this mini Pearl song and trying to give, you know, Nashville hint, hint, 
Hint, hint, mini. It's time for a new mini pearl. You know what? It's true. And, you know, I don't even remember at this time of any uh, male comedians uh, when it's coming to, uh, you know, for Nashville and, and the country music scene there. But to me, you're you're a perfect match for the Grand Ole Opry. Thank you, Dr. Bond. Do you ever say Bond, Dr. Bond? Yes, it, it comes with the territory. <laughs> 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 well, so you have 18 songs and your friend Rob Snyder makes a cameo on the album. Yes, I kind of uh I kind of pressured him into it because 7 years ago <coughs> I had uh breast cancer and um I have been uh they gave me double mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiation. They burned it out, cut it out, poisoned it out. Vanderbilt Breast Clinic did a fantastic job, and um, thank the Lord I'm still here. But like I like to say, absent from the body, present with the Lord, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So it's a win-win either way if you're a Christian, you know. But um, I put a Bible verse on my CD. I slipped a one or two Bible verses in there because that's my main goal in life is to spread the gospel it's our only hope you know in this world and um anyway i tricked rob schneider because he was performing well i didn't trick him but i pressured him he was performing at zany's nashville and i was bald from chemo and i was dying i was dying and i thought he can't say no i'm bald and dying so i went to the green room and i said hey rob <laughs> remember me how you doing yeah, I have cancer treatment. Um, would you do a little cameo on my song? And he's like, sure, darling. And he did a really cute, funny job. He's He has a special, unique magic. And and, and he so it starts out the album on a good note because he, he's funny. And so, you know, his daughter, L. King, is a big star singer. And That's she looks his daughter? Yes, nobody knows that. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, and wow. they, they look a lot alike. And, um, yep, she has a different last name, so she's a big singing star. And Rob Schneider has a great singing voice. He does a great Elvis impression. Wow. I may have to, I may have to get Rob on the show and, and uh, kind of go back to some of that that history uh with him wow that that's something i did not know it but but you know both of you are extremely funny so i can see how both of you can work so well uh together but like you had said <clears throat> you had put your career on hold for a while how was it getting back into show business from the layoff well that's a good question I was trapped in Miami and I was raising my kids and I loved that. That was my favorite thing in life was raising my babies. And they are wonderful, happily married women who love Jesus. And we all live here. It's great. Um, I said to my husband, uh, in 2007, you can retire. Could we move back to L.A. so I can try to get my career back? And he's like, well, Vicki, if I stay five more years, I get a bonus pension thing. I'm like, Paul, I, I really miss LA. I really miss my career. And the kids are grown and 
you know, I went back to college and finished my BA in 2007 because I had free time when they were in high school. And, um, and so he was stalling. So I went back to LA and we did a bi-coastal thing for a while. And I fell into a group of underground conservatives called Friends of Abe. And it was uh, uh, Gary Sinise and John Voigt were in it and some uh, people who uh, were hiding their beliefs in a free America, hiding the fact that they love America. Because uh, if you say you're conservative in Hollywood, you'll lose your career. So this was around 2007, 2008. And um, all of a sudden, Obama was on the scene. And they're like, where did he come from? And I found out from these this group that he was left of Hillary. I was like, left of Hillary? She's a socialist. That would be communist. And I was well-trained in communism growing up in Miami because all of Cuba had come over on rafts to escape communism during my childhood. And I heard all the stories. The first thing that communism does is uh, get rid of the church and your uh, freedom to worship Jesus. And, and I want my kids to grow up in a free country. So I started to have a political awakening and, and that kind of uh, kicked me out of show business pretty much because my um, when I became outspoken during the Tea Party, my stand-up agent um, dumped me, and um, so yeah. But it's all good, and my Christian upbringing taught me to stand up for what you believe in, especially Jesus. You know. Well, yeah, I was surprised that you grew up in a TV-free home. How did you even have the desire for Hollywood? Oh, that's a good question. You're good at this, Dr. Bond. I've had a little practice. You had a little practice. (laughs) Um, Well, my dad was in vaudeville, and he was a Baptist deacon, and he was a gymnastics coach. So my childhood, I was in a leotard in the gym doing tricks with my legs apart. Then I would go to Christian school, and they'd teach me modesty, And I was like, but in the gym, I'm like naked. Even the word gymnos in Greek means naked. And then they're telling me be modest. And then my dad's saying, do a back walk over on the beam. You know, and and so I thought, there must be a loophole for athletes. You know, I I was trying to figure it out. But my father was a a very moral man. He was, uh, loved the Bible. He studied it. uh, he would go home from the gym and read um, Kingdom of the Cults and underline it and uh, the Quran and compare it to the Bible. And and he taught us that the Bible is the truth and it makes the most sense. And he became a Christian at age 35. So he wasn't brainwashed it from childhood like I was. I was kind of brainwashed, but my dad wasn't. And he was very open-minded and he taught us he studied the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And yeah, so that is the kooky mixture. And then when I was a teenager, my dad said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, um, if you could be anything, what would you be? And I said, I would be Maria and the sound of music and be married to the captain and live in a mansion and have seven children in matching outfits, harmonizing with my ukulele on top of the mountain. And, and my dad goes, uh, well, that sounds like uh, an actress. 
And I thought, I never thought of it as a career, you know. I thought it was a magical thing because we were only allowed to go to G movies at the theater, no TV. And so um, he said, well, if that's what you want to be, I don't recommend it because showbiz and Christianity don't mix very well. But if that's what you want to be, give it 100%. Well then, so so you were you were already a believer even before Carson in Saturday yep. Night Live. Yep. So you I just was, basically just what kind of kind of kept it hid for a while. No, I didn't hide it at all. Um, I actually sent Johnny Carson a Bible with his name on it uh when i read in the tabloids that he had a heart attack um later on and i sent him this box with toys and my act in it and a slinky and a bible and and a tract in the bible how to be saved and and he wrote me back a note and it said uh thank you for the care package uh if it doesn't work i hold you personally responsible <laughs> very cute wow that sure leaves that to uh to be open to interpretation. Yes. And so anyway, um, when I was on Saturday Night Live, I was a Christian. Uh, there was a, we, we wrote our own stuff. And so it's not like they made me do something. One sketch, they wanted me to pray in the middle of it and on my knees. And I, I went to Lauren Michaels, had a meeting. And I said, Lauren, I don't think I can do this because... Um, I think prayer really is talking to God, and I think if I did this sketch, I'd either start crying, or I would get struck by lightning. And he what goes, did he say? He said, "Understand, Victoria." And then he gave it the part to Julia Sweeney, who was Catholic at the time, and then nobody laughed at the sketch at dress, so it never got on the air. But there were other things I wish I would have said no to. For instance, the dysfunctional family Christmas is very funny. Someone sent it to me yesterday. And it's like, you know, mom is drunk and dad is drunk and, and we're singing these holiday cheers. And it's very, very funny. Uh, but there's one line in it where my character, the little girl, says, and the only thing that we understand is God and D-A-M-N and Christmas. And I remember being in, you know, in the cast and giving, getting the lines and thinking, this is a very funny sketch, and we are making fun of dysfunctional families, but my father taught us never say, gee, golly, those are euphemisms for Jesus and God, uh, that gummit is a euphemism for God, D-A-M-N. And my, my dad said, damn is a very serious word because that means sending someone to hell. And he said, only God can do that. And now I've been thinking, actually, we kind of do it to ourselves. Our sin damns us to hell. You know, um, that's why Jesus came and died on the cross, John three sixteen, to save us, to be the redemption, to be the perfect lamb who died for our sins so that we could have eternal life with God. Our sins are paid for. But I, <coughs> when I was watching it the other day, I wanted to repost it on my Instagram. And I thought, oh, I don't like that I said, you know, D-A-M-N. 
is that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? No. I don't know. I mean, God has a sense of humor, but God is very serious about right and wrong. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's one thing I wish I would have. I don't know. Maybe well, you know, I could have. You bring up, you bring up Lauren Michaels. I mean, was he hard to work for? No, he wasn't hard. He was, he gave me the best job of my life and he treated me with respect and he hired me because he thought I was funny and he was very respectful of my Christian beliefs, even though I don't think he understands them because I saw a quote once where <laughs> they asked him, why are all these uh, cast members becoming conservative? And he said something about, well, Victoria Jackson, I don't understand. She's a born again Christian. I don't, I don't get that. But anyway, um, uh, what was the question again? Well, well, you know, I was wondering if Lauren Michaels was uh, oh, hard difficult. to work for. No, he wasn't hard. He was, we all desperately wanted his approval. And we all thought we were getting fired every day. So, in you know, in that sense, it was hard. But maybe he got the best out of us that way, you know? I don't know. My gosh, you bring up something that I actually never thought about. The cast, the original cast that you were a part of, the majority of them are conservatives, correct? Um, no, some are secret conservatives. I won't say their names. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to out anybody because I know I have friends that are actors in Hollywood who are believers, and they don't. They don't wear it openly for the fact that they want to continue working, and that includes working in you know much larger film productions. And they they yeah. don't want to they don't want to ruin that. And then you have people like you had mentioned early. There's Gary Sinise. There's John and John Voight is still acting, even though he is still outspoken. That's right. It's a personal thing. I mean, Jesus said. Uh, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Um, and so as a Christian, we're really supposed to, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for the power of God unto salvation. You know that verse. But po politics, which does overlap with religion a lot, because every moral choice, you know, religion and politics is about moral choices. Um, politically... Um, well, you got you kind of got caught up in a media role earlier this year, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, and, and when I first saw it as a headline, I'm like, okay, how far are they going to take this? And to me, it didn't last very long. It was almost like it was here today, gone tomorrow, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Um, I'm I'm not supporting a family anymore. And, you know, I'm not worried about my children starving. So I have less pressure than some people. Um, I, I uh, politics wasn't a wasn't like this in the 80s. When I was on the show, I wasn't political at all. And Reagan was the president, and he was defeating communism. He said, Gorbachev, tear down this wall, and the Berlin Wall came down. So I felt very safe. I had never voted till I was 50. 
Wow. So, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I didn't really know much about politics, but I was a Christian, so I was against abortion and stuff like that. But anyway, what were we talking about? My brain's well, all over. Well, no, the, um, you know, because you ended, you ended up with that little situation earlier this year oh. being in the media because you were very, very outspoken. I believe what you appeared, what, before Nashville City Council or something? Oh, okay, that. Okay, so here's how it works. This one year, a guy says, hey, I could book you doing stand-up. And I go, I think you're blacklisted. He goes, no, I think I could get you some work. I go, okay. He got me 12 stand-up gigs about two years ago, right after COVID was disappearing. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing stand-up again. And then there was a city hall meeting in my town about whether or not to have the gay pride parade. And everybody got one minute to speak. And there was like a, over 100 people. And um, on both sides, 70% said, no, we don't want the gay pride parade because we had it already. And they were doing vulgar sexual things in front of my children. And um, so, so anyway, when I got my one minute to speak, I thought, what would God, what is God's opinion of this? Because that's what really matters. And so I said, God hates sodomy. Uh, um, number two, God hates pride. Uh, really hates pride. And then I read some Bible verses about pride. And I said, and if you want to know what he thinks of sodomy, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. It's still there. If you go to YouTube, archaeology, biblical archaeology, they found it. And it's all, it's a city that's all sulfur and, um, and so then I said, there, there's, there's hope, though. Uh, Beckett Cook it used to live a homosexual lifestyle, and he became a born-again Christian, and he has a website now. Beckett Cook. And the guy was hitting the gavel because my one minute was up. Oh, I also said, I don't want this generation to be brainwashed. You know, don't believe lies. Don't follow the culture. Well, Just did the media jump on it because of the fact that you were basically a Saturday Night Live alum? Oh, yes. I knew that if I said anything against the Pride Parade, it would probably make the news because of the SNL connection. But I thought my job in life is to spread the gospel because I want people to be saved. You know, this life is over like that. You know, your soul is what's important. And so, um, yeah, so I knew it would be in the news, and it was. I was misquoted, and I was quoted right. Some magazines, quote, some showed the video, and so it was perfectly quoted. And, uh, yeah, so. But it didn't so really, the, the blow-up over it didn't last long. I mean, because, you know, I've seen where others have spoken out on certain issues, and it ends up being to the point to where, they're trying, they're, you know, they're trying to get, trying to be canceled. You didn't really seem to be canceled. Well, what it did to my life was my next two stand-up gigs canceled. Um, I had booked them a month before and my agent said they just pulled out. So that's how it affects me. But God takes care of me. God's my agent. I'm performing tonight. Um... You know, so I get to do what I love and 
And God takes care of my family and provides all of our needs. Amen to that. And I know that you've recently been in a few uh, comedy films, and I know that you were in this season's Jingle Smells, uh, <laughs> and even uh, worked alongside Jim Brewer and uh, John Schneider. Uh, and, well, Eric Roberts, and the list goes on. How was that experience? Well, it was kind of a miracle because I was like, Lord, the news is so serious. All of these wars, all this Bible prophecy, all of this, you know, the government is, is a joke now. And and so, um, I mean, dangerous. Our government right now is dangerous. And so I said, Lord, can I please do comedy again? I really miss comedy. Please let me do something comedy and all of a sudden this summer I got all these comedy things out of the sky and one of them was Jingle Smells um, Logan Seculo directed it Jay Seculo's son it's a, it's making fun of political correctness so it's on Rumble just came out and I, I play a screaming raging liberal activist it was very fun and um, then I got to be in Mason Douglas's video, music video, and I got to be in another music video uh, called, um, it's by the group Unspoken. And then I got to be in the movie Into the Spotlight, playing a high school principal, which was funny. And so uh, I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I mean, what a blessing. Well, you're just a great person overall, and uh, I love have you, having you on the program. Uh, you just have just this incredible, um, joyful spirit about you. You're so confident. I love that. Hey, that sounds really good. You know, my daughter actually plays the ukulele. It's a, you can learn it in one day. <laughs> This is a baritone uke, so it sounds deeper and richer, you know. Dr. Ward, thank you for having me today. I love Dr. that. Dr. Bond. Bond. Ward Bond. How about that? I actually have a song written on the fly by Victoria Jackson. I think you just made my career. I got to work on it. It's not good enough yet. <laughs> well, Micah, what do you have coming up for uh, 2024? My schedule's pretty open. You got any ideas? Oh, I don't know. I may. <laughs> I may. We can actually talk about that after the interview. Who knows? But, ladies and gentlemen, you have got to head over to VictoriaJackson.com, get a copy of her hilarious music comedy album, When I Get to Nashville, and you got to check out her schedule to see if she's going to be doing any stand-up where you live. And also, Victoria, I also know that uh, I saw that you connected with uh, China Phillips Baldwin with California Dreaming and California Preaching. How was that? Oh my goodness, it was so awesome. Okay, so I was watching YouTube, which I'm addicted to, and I stumbled on California preaching. And I was like, the mamas and the papas daughter is on fire for Jesus. And I really admired her boldness, you know, because uh it's not easy 
to do both Jesus and show business. And she's in the group Wilson Phillips. They still perform. You know, they have hits, she wrote. Anyway, um, I was a big fan of her show. And I, I, I looked at the underneath and it said, if you want to join California Healing, it was a little group she was starting. We're all on Zoom. And we read the Bible and pray together once a week. And then every day we do it on uh, WhatsApp and stuff. And I've been doing that for over a year. And now I'm a leader in one of her groups. Tonight actually is my group, the Victory Group. And it's really gotten me reading the Bible and praying more than I ever was. And um, yeah, shout out to China Phillips. She started a unique thing and it's growing and it's just women praying together and reading the Bible. It's awesome. Yeah, I I had the opportunity to talk to China about her, well, about her finding Jesus, which was an incredible story for her to tell. And uh, and then talking about her California preaching and all of these women's groups that she's created. Uh, she has built one incredible women's ministry outside the walls of the church yeah she did and we all go to different churches but we're we're all in different states and canada one lady's in germany so well i tell you what i've had a great time with you victoria and ladies and gentlemen again you've got to get a copy of her hilarious music comedy album when i get to nashville and mark my words, I think Victoria Jackson is the next mini pearl. And we may need to say a little prayer for Victoria. So that way mm -hmm. we finally see her make a debut on the Grand Ole Opry. And, uh, oh. you know, we have faith there, Victoria. So my faith tells me that'll happen. Thank you. It's just a little goal, you know, to amuse myself. Well, I think it's a great goal to have. I, I have some friends who have made their debut at the Grand Ole Opry, and it's an experience like no other to stand in that famed circle. And I think that day will be coming to you soon. Thank you, Dr. Bond. <laughs> well, you're so welcome. I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm still trying to put my earring in. Yeah, one little shiny one and then one that won't go in. But as soon as we hang up, it's going to go in. Oh, you know, that that's that's exactly what's going to happen. And again, ladies and gentlemen, head over to VictoriaJackson.com and learn and know all things Victoria Jackson and follow her on social media. And who knows, you may want to join Victoria along with China. So if you're a woman and, and you want to have a great faith-based group of Jesus-loving women, well... That's the place to go as well. And for many thanks to all of you who have been watching and listening. And as for me, I'll see you next time.